Would you turn your Bible to Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2, please. The second chapter of Titus. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that you're in the business of putting back together what the devil has torn apart. We're so grateful that we serve a God who can change and save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. We pray that today our hearts will be turned toward heaven, be filled with gratitude for all you've done for us, that we'll allow the Holy Spirit to have liberty and freedom in this place. May someone who has never been saved come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In Titus chapter 2, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober-minded, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober-minded, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior Jesus in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us with, from all iniquity and purify unto himself a people of his own, peculiar people zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, that no man despise thee. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. We're living in an age that rejects the Word of God. What you believe about the Bible determines what you believe about the home, what you believe about the government, what you believe about your work, what you believe about your actions. And when you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, you believe that. You may not always practice everything that it says, but it becomes the standard by which you weigh your actions, and you weigh your opinions, and you weigh your judgments. In the 1960s, America, through the Supreme Court edict, officially said America does not need the Bible any longer. It cannot be read in our public schools. What a tragedy. Following that, there has come a tremendous whirlpool 
and cesspool of wickedness and sin and America has gone down in a drain of immorality and a world that once respected and loved this nation now hates it and all look with disdain to America and instead of having friends around the world we have enemies we've brought much of it on ourselves and what we do at the polls in just a few days will also measure our opinion of the infallibility and inerrancy of the scripture the word of God remains unbound it remains authoritative it remains effective for everyone who will believe it and apply its message to our hearts years and years ago Paul wrote Titus he said go down to Crete and set in order the things that are going on in the churches and in chapter 2 he said you're to teach certain things about the home now our homes are in trouble today there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says their rock is not as our rock even our enemies testifying to that their rock little r is not as our rock big r capital r the world has a rock upon which they live upon which they stand upon which they base their foundations it is a philosophy largely today copied from the annals of John Dewey and the other modern philosophers in education who have said we do not have to have absolutes we live in a situational situation and whatever occurs at the moment you have to weigh whether a thing is right or wrong depending on what is occurring at the moment there are no absolutes and so I want to ask the question this morning is your home on the rocks or is it on the rock Jesus Christ there are some principles that defy the rocks <clears throat> the word picture is drawn from a ship that is going toward the coast or toward the harbor and instead of making it safely into the harbor it gets gnawed on the rocks and the undergirding of the ship becomes all messed up in the rocks and there are jags in the ship and the ship begins to take on water because it did not go in toward the main rock where the harbor is. So many homes are like that today. So many lives are like that today. Tempest tossed, disturbed, not knowing which way to turn, having no absolute, no real anchor, and not sure what to do about it in times when I have the opportunity to marry a couple I try to speak to them about several things among them the four F's I say sometimes there are four things that will either help or hurt your marriage number one your family when you marry you're marrying each other's family whether you like it or don't like it you're marrying each other's family you don't have to have a mother-in-law you have you can have a mother in love you don't have to have a father-in-law, you can have a father-in-love. They're brothers and sisters, you're brothers and sisters. The second F is your finances. Before you get married, you have your money and she has her, mo his, her money, he has her, his money. 
When you get married, it's our money. Put together, it's our money. And so many fusses are made in the home over, over my money. And who's going to pay the checks? And who's going to pay the bills? And, uh, and so on. The other F is over the familiarity. When a couple marry, they pledge to take eyes off of every other boy or girl they ever met, ever knew, tear up the love letters and the old pictures, and have love eyes just for each other. And then what goes on in the bedroom is not everybody else's business. It's not to be told to Tom, Dick, and Harry. It is an intimate, personal, private time. Not to be gossiped about when you take coffee breaks at the factory and sit down and talk about it. That can either hurt or help your marriage. It will crush, it has crushed many marriages. And the fourth F is your faith. When you stand at the marriage altar, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You have no idea what will happen. All you know, if you're a Christian, is Him. And that's enough. Because He's not going to lead you one way and lead your partner another way. He will lead you both together if your marriage was put together by God. And so marriage becomes a triangle, not between some other third person outside the marriage, but the third person is Jesus Christ. And He directs and guides and fills life with spiritual strength and power. Well, there are lots of marriages that go on the rocks. Lots of homes that are on the rocks. Some of the homes to whom I speak this morning are in perilous problems and trouble. We live in an age when divorce rate is zooming. Before the Bible went out from America, America was one of the few bastions in the world where the home was somewhat secure. But when we did away with the Bible in the 1960s, if you'll notice the divorce rate, it began to soar and go up and up and up and up because no longer was it necessary for a couple to go to the Word of God and find out what God says. They just consulted their own feelings. I don't love you anymore. Don't feel towards you like I used to feel. I don't have that quiver in my liver anymore like I used to have. Love is not a commitment. Love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It isn't a quiver in your liver. Now that's part of it. And there is a lot of emotion involved in marriage. But if you're going to marry somebody, and boys and girls listen to this, you need to commit yourself for life. And many of you grow up in homes where moms and dads have been unfaithful to each other. Some of don't even know who their father is. Some have, are from a home, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything to shame you. You're, you're a victim. You can't help it. Some of you are from homes where your brothers, all your brothers and all your sisters have a different last name. Because nobody ever learned to be faithful in marriage. Some of you won't like this sermon. God bless you anyhow. God laid it on my heart to bring it. It is God's plan for one man, for one woman, for life. Now we serve the God of a second chance. And when marriages go awry and homes get all messed up, thank God there are people who have been able to put their marriages together in a different way. And they enter a second or third marriage and somehow God in His infinite grace 
can help you and strengthen you. And I'm not speaking to try to discourage anyone today who has already had the tragedy of divorce. If you look back across the years, you'll recognize that the divorce was a tragedy. Nonetheless, we serve the God of a second chance and he is able to pick up broken pieces and help put things together again and help you go on. But God's standard is one man for one woman for all of life. Now I want you to notice some principles that will defy the rocks. Number one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that Christians should marry Christians. Amen. Hold your finger in Titus and turn over to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. And look at what this scripture says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, God's plan is for a Christian to marry another Christian. And to you who are not married, make this your standard. Determine right now, I'm going to ask God to bring into my life somebody who has never been married before, somebody who is a Christian, and I want to marry that person that God will give a love in my heart for. Now again, the records are filled with people who have not followed that admonition. My own father and mother. My father was not a Christian. Those early years were tough years. Before he was promoted, there is a conviction in the heart of Roger and myself that our father gave his heart to Christ. Dr. Gordon was instrumental in that. Amen. And so I'm not standing here telling you, uh, shaming anyone. I'm just saying the Bible says, and the Bible teaches that Christians should marry Christians. And when we defy that, we have problem after problem after problem. And the home so many times goes on the rocks. Secondly, Christians should seek a direct leading from God about marriage plans. What does God want you to do? I don't think it's necessary for a young girl or a young guy to just date anybody that comes along for fear that you won't have somebody to date on Saturday night. It's far better to be dateless on Saturday night that it becomes such a dater that it all becomes just a common thing to you and you forget what's going on. Ask God to guide you. Nobody ever marries somebody he doesn't date. Nobody ever marries somebody they don't get to know in a date relationship. 
So if you put limits on who you'll date, the chances are likely that you'll not marry somebody who isn't saved. Years ago, we had a young man in our church. He was in college. He didn't date very much. Some of the other guys made fun of him and uh, said some things about him. He said, well, I'm just waiting for God to show me who I ought to marry. I'm going to date that one, not anybody else. He'd go to bed at night. Some of them who roomed with him said this. He'd go to bed at night and take his Bible and put it in his arms like that. And they'd come by, the other, his roommates come by and laugh at him and say, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to hold the Bible here close to my bosom until God gives me the right girl. One night at teen time, he called me aside and said, he said, who's that pretty girl over there? There was a Methodist girl that was attending teen time. I told her, told him who she was. I said, I want you to introduce me to her. I'm going to marry her. Never seen her before. I said, God just told me to marry her. I introduced them. They got to know each other just a little bit. And he said, now you're going to have to become a Baptist before I can marry you. And she asked for a private counseling with me. And she said, I don't understand this guy. She said, he, she, he said that I have to become a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. Nothing wrong with being a Methodist. I said, no, there's nothing wrong with being a Methodist. But if you're going to marry this guy, you have to be a Baptist. <laughs> I explained to her what Baptists believe and what the difference was. And she began to grow in love toward him. And she asked, came one day and said, I want to know what Baptists believe. And we went over the scriptures and searched them diligently. I had the privilege of baptizing her and then marrying them. And they've been married happily ever since. I'm telling you, you can do what another person did. One young man that used to come regularly and faithfully to our church, dated around, came one day and said, uh, Preacher, I'm going to marry this girl. I'd gone with her three weeks. I, I knew her. I said, I don't believe you, you're ready to marry her. I don't think she's ready to marry you. He got mad at me, moved his membership to another church and got another preacher to marry them. They lived together one year and divorced. And his life has gone down, 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 down. I want to tell you, you can defy this principle, but you pay a big price. Find God's direction. Let the Lord direct you concerning marriage. Thirdly, Christians should have a heart agreement concerning some things. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, how can two walk together except they be agreed? We need to have agreement in our hearts about some important things. You may say the cultural background doesn't make much difference, but it does. The ethnic background may not make much difference, but it does. There needs to be some alikeness, both culturally, educationally, and primarily spiritually. Now, what is it that will keep the home together? Not only these things before marriage, but I want to suggest there are some enemies that lead to the rocks 
in a home that's already together. Number one, a playboy philosophy. Do whatever you want to, lust, luxury, liquor, just anything you want to do, just do it. You'd be amazed at the huge, huge circulation of those sex magazines all the time. Playboy and Penthouse and others that I'd feel like washing my mouth out with soap if I mentioned them. And all the, all the soap operas that these people watch and so on. That's a Playboy philosophy. And that's an enemy of the home. And beloved, when you allow that thing to come into your home, you're running a risk of having your home torn apart. You may say, well, I don't understand that. Well, you let some woman sit at home all day and watch all those soap operas about somebody finding somebody else's wife and why they want a divorce and go into all the vivid details of all the things about that. That puts ideas in that woman's heart. Or you let some Christian lady begin to hang around with a bunch of women that have left their husbands and make them her best friend after a while she's going to leave her, her husband. Or you let some man stay out all the time playing games and playing ball and just all the time neglecting his home. After a while, there are going to be some home problems. A playboy philosophy. And playboy doesn't just imply playing sex. It means just playing. There needs to be some work going on in marriage. And then the ERA philosophy. The ERA philosophy says that women have their rights. And it is no longer true that a woman's a big, big responsibility is to rear the family and rear the children. That's everybody's responsibility. And so lots of times the man stays at home and does the dishes, takes care of the children. The women go out and work, climb telephone posts, go out and do all the labor and work and so on. You may say, preacher, I don't like what you're saying. God bless you anyhow. I want to tell you this kind of philosophy injures homes and it's an enemy of the home the era philosophy christian ladies don't need the era philosophy jesus liberated you hundreds of years ago when he died on the cross the greatest thing that ever happened to womanhood was jesus christ he came to lift women from the awful position of being a piece of property that belonged to some man to a place of prominence on a pedestal I want to tell you, men, even your wife, you don't own her. And wives, you don't own your husband. They belong to God. Nobody can ever own anybody else. God is the one to whom we must give an account. And then there's the gay rights philosophy. And this is a terrible, terrible drag on the home. Several years ago, a lady, precious lady, came with broken heart. This was about 10 or 15 years ago when this thing all was starting. And she said, my husband's going to leave me. Well, I said, I'm sorry. Do you feel like talking about it? She said, no, I don't. So I'm so ashamed, I don't know what to say. He's leaving me for another man. 
Now we're living in an age when a candidate for presidency says, I'm going to appoint some gay people in my cabinet. I want to just ask you, can you spiritually, biblically vote for a person like that? That's up to you. I'm not telling you who to vote for. We're living in a mess age. In an age when morals have been thrown out. And even Christians, Baptists can say that. I want to tell you that's an enemy to the home. The gay rights movement is an enemy to the home. If a person is a homosexual, he can talk to God about it. She can talk to God about it. And God can change them. It was never God's plan for them to march around carrying banners and saying, I'm a homosexual and I want my rights and I want equal rights under the Equal Rights Amendment. God forbid. That's wrong as it can be. Wrong. It is wrong as far as the Word of God is concerned. And it's an enemy of the home. And if you go to the polls and cast votes for that kind of philosophy, something's wrong with your spiritual life. No family altar is another enemy of the Christian home. When you do not pray together, when you do not read the Word of God together, and study the Word of God together, something is terrible wrong. Abortion is another terrible, terrible blight on the home. Abortion. Do you know, there are those who would say, a little child 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old ought to be able to have an abortion without mom and daddy knowing about it. But did you know they cannot have a tonsillectomy without your mother knowing about it? If you have some kind of an accident at school, they, a doctor cannot even touch you without calling your parents. And yet they would let this happen and there are forces all over America that are saying, this is the way it ought to be. Brother, that's a, that's a blight on the home. That's an enemy to the home. And all I can do today is raise my voice against that and to say that is not God's plan or God's will. And that leads, that leads to terrible tragedy, not only in the home, but in the future homes and in the terrible makeup, the toll it takes upon the human personality. Another thing is lack of male leadership in the home. You know why some women run the homes? Because the man won't do it. You say, you're, you're a chauvinist. <laughs> no, I'm not. The Bible says husbands are the heads of the home. Now, if you don't like that, go to Ephesians 5 and tear that page out of your Bible. Just tear it out. Gobble it up and throw it away. Say, I don't believe that. Well, you can do that, but it doesn't change what God says. But the one big reason today why many homes are all messed up over this is because men will not take that leadership. They will not be the leader. They'll not lead in family altar. They'll not lead in the finances. They'll not lead to be sure that your home doesn't get all messed up financially. They won't do it. They give it to the women. And brethren, that's wrong. 
God bless you women. I don't know how we'd ever get along without you because you supplemented and complimented and done things that men should be doing and wouldn't do. I just think of the church. You think of the fix the churches would be in if the, if the ladies didn't do anything. And yet you know that most of the leadership in the church ought to be done by the men. I think of our church. Men, I don't know how you can stand week after week after week to come over here and see our campus just not look sharp. If you'll give me another 24 hours, I'll fix it up. I don't mind having a lawnmower and, some, and a weed eater and some clippers and come around here and fix it up. Our men ought to do that. This place ought to be clean all the time. And that's leadership of men in the church. Deacons ought to lead in it. Trustees ought to lead in it. Sunday school teachers ought to lead in it. Anybody that has any kind of backbone spiritually ought to lead in it. We ought to do it. Amen. Now that wasn't in this sermon. That just came out. Amen. TV in the home is an enemy. I grew up in a time we didn't have any TV. We talked to each other. My mother would get our get us around. Somebody gave mother a piano. They knew she played the piano. We grew up in the Depression years, didn't have much. But uh, she, somebody gave her a piano. A lady named Maud Burns. And mother was an accomplished musician. And she would get us around the piano every day. And she'd teach us songs. We'd sing about Jesus. Our father didn't enter into that at that time. But then she'd pray with us. We didn't have time for TV. You know, I've been into homes where I go in and I, that thing's blasting off and I'll say, am I interrupting your favorite television program? No, I never watch it. And here it is blaring out. So I step over and I say, would you mind if we turn it down? Uh, turn it down? Well, okay, reluctantly. Or somebody, well, I went into one home one day over here on the street and I said, am I interrupting you? Yes, you are. That's my ball game and I want to see it. You can come back some other time. It's a monster in the home. I don't see much difference in having a movie down at the movie house and a movie in your home at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night with all kinds of lustful things going on. You say, preacher, you're hopeless. I know it. I know it. I just had to bear my soul to you today. And I'll walk out the back door if you want me to, but I'll tell you, these are things that I, I want you to listen to and weigh them carefully and let God speak to you about them. These are enemies of the Christian home. Another enemy of the Christian home is letting our kids do anything they want to do and having no, no, no sense of, of discipline, getting mad at the preacher because the preacher is too foggy and taking strong stands. We had a family at church one time and said, if we could just get a pastor who would say something, would, wouldn't say anything against dancing, I'd appreciate it. That very home, the girl ended up pregnant for marriage. But you see, that's, an, that's another thing. Nobody's ashamed of that anymore either. Nobody's ashamed of anything. We live in a blushless society. A society where we've thrown away the absolutes and it doesn't make any difference anymore. Is your home on the rocks or is it going to be built on the rock, the rock of ages? My time is up. But I feel in my heart that everyone here needs to weigh carefully the things that have come 
from what I understand the Word of God to teach this morning. Weigh them in your heart. Weigh them about your home. Ask God to give you a Christian, godly home. And if things have gone wrong and been all messed up in the years gone by, you can always start over. Isn't that good? And if you've had divorce in your home, you can start over with the one you're married to now and build a Christian home and make it what it ought to be. God will bless you. You do not have to curl up in a knot and die and quit and throw in the towel. But what will help you to do this? The precious Lord Jesus. He's the one who's fairer than the lilies. He's the one who will invigorate you spiritually, give you physical energy beyond your ability. When you're at the point where you think, I can't go any further, I'm going to drop in my tracks, ask God's Holy Spirit to energize you, and you'll be surprised how much additional energy you'll have to make your home what it ought to be for God. It begins by personal faith in Jesus Christ. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for what Paul told Titus to say to those people down at Crete. We pray that the Lord will move in the hearts of folks here, that we'll have a desire for a home that honors Christ. God grant that. In the name of Jesus, amen. 385, will you stand please? 385, where he leads me, I will follow. Now please do not leave until the invitation is over. Just be a moment longer. God is speaking to your home and your heart. Will you let him have his way? If you're here today and you've never been saved, will you come to Christ and trust him as your personal savior? Let Jesus live inside of your heart. God will bless you if you do it. All my burdens rolled away when I felt his power. Chris sang while ago, Chris Mansfield, my favorite song, At the Cross. I think I asked him to sing that as much for me as for you. It always moves my heart. And it was at the cross that I first felt his power and his light. And I like the stanza that Chris added. I remember the day when I walked the aisle and asked Jesus to come in. Has there been a day like that in your life? Would you today ask Jesus to come in and chase out the night and the sin and the devil's control and power over your life or over your home? God help you to do it while we sing, will you come?